St. Warburg's Derby. We, no matter where we are on this journey of faith, whether you're here for the first time in church or whether you've been coming to church for years and years, no matter where we are, we, all, we are all human. So we're all in this together. We all want to know what it means to be us, to, to find our identity, to have some kind of hope and joy and peace, sense of stability and security. For me, the answer to all of those questions is Jesus. I could look at myself and I could go, I'm a balding 40-year-old man with saggy man boobs and hair where he doesn't want it. Sorry, that's too much information. <laughs> or I could go, my identity, my identity is found in God. My identity is because of Jesus. And so we, as we gather, we circulate around this book. We, we read this book because we want to read what it tells us. We believe that there's truth in here, that it unpacks something within our lives so that we can understand it and find our place and our identity better. And so that's what we're going to do this evening. Let's pray as we do that. Loving Father, we come before you with all sorts of questions around our identity, knowing that we live in a society that's driven by cool and sexy and glamorous, that that's where our world finds its identity, but there is something more than that. That is just superficial. So Lord, we ask that you'll help us to root our identity in you that you may come and speak to us tonight, that you may come and change our lives, transform our hearts and our minds as we journey towards you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There comes a time, doesn't there, I think in everybody's life, where um, we, we realize that we may not measure up. I remember when I was... Um, I reckon kind of nine, maybe ten. This is the first time that I, was, like, I can remember this happening in my life. At that age and stage, all I wanted, all that my life was about, my life's goal and dream was to have a BMX. That was it. I just wanted a BMX. We lived in the New Forest and I wanted to be able to get on my bike and ride over the forest and jump around and do tricks and... That was it. I just, I just wanted to be a mix. And so I made my parents' life a nightmare. And I reminded them that I wanted to be a mix pretty much every time I saw them. And I drove them to distraction, wanting and dreaming of this BMX. And then one Christmas day, I mean, the excitement, the, dry, the, the, the passion, the, ex, the kind of incessant asking had risen to such a crescendo that that Christmas Day morning, we were, I was either going to be the best day of my life or the worst. And in my family, we do Christmas the correct way. And um, if you don't do Christmas like this, then um, you're wrong. So uh, we do stockings, church, lunch, queen, main presents. Okay. If, if you are opening all of your presents first thing in the morning, you need prayer, help, counselling, all of it. You're just wrong. 
Anyway, um, I got so excited that this, this, uh, there may be a bike. But of course, there was never going to be a bike in my stocking. That couldn't possibly ever fit. But when we ran, ran downstairs on Christmas Day morning, there was, in our front room, a bike. And it was the most amazing thing ever, that we were able to change how we did Christmas on that day because I couldn't wait till after the Queen for that. I was given this main present right there and then in that morning. And I, it was the most exciting thing in the world. And my parents did what most parents would do at that point. They, they want to capture the moment of the joy in their son's face. And so they made me pose for a photo. Now, there's a couple of things you need to know uh, about this. Firstly, we are talking mid-80s, okay? The, the decade that fashion forgot. That's the first issue. Second thing, I'm in my pajamas. Um, yeah, thank you. I can hear, yeah, yeah. I'm in my pajamas. Thirdly, um, my parents, like you, some of you might think that I don't have much kind of style. My parents had even less. So um, my pajamas were horrific and uh, my haircut was bog standard bowl haircut. Now, you might all be going, hang on Phil, we don't even believe you had hair. I did have hair, but it was just straight line, bowl, <laughs> chopped round, awful. Anyway, why am I telling all this? Uh, so I had this, um, this photo taken of me by my BMX bike uh, looking very pleased with myself. Now this meant that later on in the year, I could take my cycling proficiency badge. Anyone else do cycling proficiency or some kind of road? Okay, so you all know uh, cycling proficiency. It, it's where you get your test to say that you can actually ride your bike on, on the road. It's effectively turn up and pedal and you pass. Right? So I had to go for cycling proficiency lessons at my school. And uh, to do that, my mum had to take my bike. We had to drop it at school. And then um, we would uh, wait for the lesson after school and had to do the lesson. But um, at some point, at some point, my bike got stolen. Oh. I was devastated, absolutely devastated. And um, this was back in the day before Twitter or Facebook or any other social media stuff. And so my parents um, decided to contact the local newspaper because they were upset that this money they had spent on a new bike, would, um, would, that would just be it. So they contacted the newspaper and they ran an article on a nine-year-old boy who had had his bike stolen. I mean, it was slow news. Like, in the New Forest, there was nothing else going on. Oh, someone saw a pony. No, <laughs> bike was stolen. And, um, and of course, to do that, they, they needed a photo <laughs> to put in the art article. So this hideous photo, which I've got for you now, I'm jo I haven't, not a, not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance. Um, this hideous photo went in the, in the local newspaper. And um, of course, some of my friends saw it. And then they ripped it out and brought it to school and showed all the other people at school. And this hideous pajamas and bowl haircut and made fun of me. And, but the good news is that the article worked and that the bike got returned. Now, actually, as an adult, as I, I retell that story, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder whether my parents just went and bought me another one and told me that it got returned. But um, uh, that's, that's the story that I'm believing in myself. The bike was returned, and um, that was all really exciting. I then went and took my cycling proficiency test, and I failed. That wasn't the funny bit, actually. You're not, you're not allowed to laugh at that bit. That, that cut hurt really 
No, it's, I mean, seriously, how does anyone fail a cycling proficiency? It's turn up, ride your bike, you're passed. And I failed it. Do you know what that moment taught me? What that moment taught me was that my bike was good enough for other people, but I wasn't. Suddenly, a narrative got into my head that the things that I owned might be good enough if other people wanted it, but actually me, I hadn't measured up. I hadn't succeeded. I hadn't achieved the standard that the world said that I should get to. It's the first time I can really remember failing. I can remember failing a lot since then, but that was the first point. Because we live in a world that is full of competitive stuff. We're driven by exam results and how we get on. We're driven by competitive job interviews and processes that tell us we've got to get to a certain standard. We've got to reach this uh, achievement because otherwise you are not good enough. You don't fit in. And so we start telling ourselves a story, a narrative in our mind that says, I am not good enough. And then we take that from academia and work and we, we put it into how we do relationships. We do it how we even try to do uh, romantic relationships. That kind of whole dating piece. Am I, good at, am I going to find the right person? What's this going to look like? And so we then start telling us another story. Not only does the world judge us and deem us not good enough, but we start to disqualify ourselves. I haven't made the standard. I'm never going to. Or it becomes about the situation in which we're born into. Maybe we were, you know, we were blessed with certain looks or we were blessed with certain parents who loved us or financial stability or depends on which country we were born into. It's all about our conditions and whether or not we're going to make it in life. So we then start giving ourselves labels. Well, you know, I'm disorganized. I always have been, always will be. It's just who I am. I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I'm grumpy, I'm high maintenance. Whatever these, le- these words are that we start telling ourselves in our brain. And we lead that on to even kind of more important things. Oh, well, I, I, I suffer from anxiety. That's just who I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an anxiety sufferer. I'm a cancer sufferer. I'm, I'm single, I'm divorced. I'm this, I'm that. Whatever the label it might be, We add them to ourselves, no matter just what the world tells us, but what we tell ourselves. It's just who I am. I can't change. I'll always be this way. I was made this way. What I want to suggest this evening, that if you are like me and you start to tell yourselves any of those narratives, if any of those stories start to ring true for what you tell yourself, I want to say this evening, that it is a false narrative. It is a lie. And I want to change your mindset this evening. And I want to say that you are not made like that. You are made for something very different. And so we're going to jump into the first book in the Bible. We're going to jump into Genesis chapter 1. If you've got Bibles with you, open it up because this is the beautiful creation poem that just kind of blows your mind at the beginning of the whole Bible. And God speaks, 
and life happens. And God takes six days to create the world and everything in it. And he does it in kind of two stages. The first three days, God separates things. He separates the chaos. He separates day and night. He separates sky and sea. He separates sea and land. That's what God does for the first three days. And then he starts to fill. He separates and then he fills things. He fills the land with vegetation. He fills the sky with birds and the sea with fish. He fills the sky even more with the stars, the moon, the sun. He fills the land with animals. And at every point along this beautiful poem, God says, it was good. And then we get to these few verses. Chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then if we read on to verse 31, we read that God saw the all that he had made, and it was very good. God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. In our image, he created them. I want to jump in at this point. There's a few things that we just need to uh, reflect on. Firstly, God uses the word "our." In this beautiful poem, in the midst of this moment, God uses the word "our." He's talking to himself. What is going on here? Well, what's going on here is the first example of the Trinitarian God who we worship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Being in community, being in relationship with one another. God is saying to the three of themselves, let us make man in our image. And it's like they all agree, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's make humanity to look like us. To be like us. Let that seep in for a moment. That we are created out of community. We are created out of relationship, out of love. God says, out of that, let's make mankind, humankind, in God's image. Now, some of the kind of traditional Christian view of this, and if you've been around church, you may have heard this, you may have thought this yourself, that this idea of what, what does it mean for us to hold the image and the likeness of God is that there's something within us, maybe it's in our soul, maybe it's kind of trapped in our body so that when we die, we release that God bit of us and then we go to heaven and be with him forever. But actually, if we study the language, we realize that that's not true. We realize that there's something more going on. And... Um, I want us to look at these two words, image and likeness. They, this is written in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew. And uh, the word uh, image is the word tselem. Say it with me, tselem. Okay, I didn't quite fill enough force. You almost need to spit at me. Tselem. Better. Thank you. 
And if you, if you kind of study this word and look into what it really means, it says that it means a representative figure. A representative figure. The word likeness is the word demut. Say it with me, demut. Every day's a school day. We've just, you just learned Hebrew. It's like you're almost fluent. Tselem demut. Demut means a concrete model, a shape, or something that has resemblance. In other words, when you put these two words together, image and likeness, tselem and demut, we are meaning something physically concrete that represents something else. In other words, it means statue. You, me, we are God's statue. Now, we, you may have um, seen some great statues, some brilliant statues of politicians or pe people through history, kings and queens. Um, there have been also some hideous statues. Uh, the the Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo one that was done for that museum that kind of um, helped stoke his ego a little bit is hideous. What an awful statue. But we are called to be God's statues here on earth. In the ancient Near East, when a king conquered another land, what that king would do was place a statue of himself in that province and say, I rule here. This is what I look like. I have authority and power over this land. And we are called to be the statue of God here on earth, placed on earth to represent the king, to show people who the king is, to say we live under the power, under the authority of the king. That is who we are made to be in the image and likeness, the tselem and the demut of God. Royal representation that points to their king. Well, some of you may now be asking all sorts of questions. And the question that I would ask at this point is, well, hang on a minute, I know me. That sounds like a really grand, nice, wonderful idea that I get to represent God on earth. But hang on, I know who I am. I know the depths of my heart. I know the things that I think about, the things that I say, the things that I look at, my attitude, my, I, I know me. How can I ever represent the king? This is a problem of my brokenness. Genesis, creation story goes on. And we pick it up again in chapter three, where we have this, this bizarre moment of this snake talking to Eve. If you don't quite get your head around a talking snake, don't worry about that bit. Don't let that put you off. But the serpent is trying to convince Eve to take of the apple, to eat of the fruit, and to say, come on, come on, come to the temptation. You know you want it. You know you want it. And we read this in chapter 3, verse 5. This is the serpent speaking. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. At the heart of the human problem, is the problem of the human heart. It's the fact that we fall for that temptation. We want to be godlike. We want to be king or queen of our lives. And we have swallowed a huge lie. 
that we can be like God, that we can make ourselves like God, when actually the truth is, you already are. You already are made in the image and the likeness of God. But don't swallow the lie that takes you down another route that says, I'm going to ignore God, I'm going to ignore who, who he is and the, his kind of, what he says over me and what he speaks to me about my life. I'm going to make myself king. I'm going to make myself God over my life. And this lie leads to looking in on ourselves to swallow, going in on our heart and kind of saying, this is all about me. It leads to striving and comparison. It leads to trying to achieve the results that we want to achieve. It creates us to be quite selfish. Just looking at ourselves, dependent upon our condition. And in the end, it leads to brokenness, anxiety, worry and fear. We are bound. We are bound by what we think of ourselves and what we think other people think of us. And the answer to this, the only answer that there is in terms of getting our identity right, going back to the fact that we're made in the image and the likeness of God, is to repent. The Greek word repent, metanoia, it just means to to change your mind. If you were going in one direction, to change and go back in the other. It's to think differently and it's to say to ourselves, we need to repent of making ourselves God and and come back to God and allow him to be God, but know that we're made in his image and likeness. To change the way we think, to trust him. To have faith in God, that he is in control. He is king, despite whatever conditions we face. And so, again, you may start to say to me, well, that's all well and good, Phil. But I still know that even in that moment of repentance that I continue to let God down by the way I perhaps live my life. I still have this battle with sin and selfishness. Ultimately, all of this points us As we change our mind, it points us back to Jesus. The one who came to represent God fully. Who was both fully God and fully human. And the one who didn't taint or mar or break the image of God in him. In John 1 verse 18 we read this. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And in Colossians 1, verse 15, we read this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, of course, Colossians, the New Testament, is written in Greek. And this word image here isn't selem, it is icon. And it means an image, a figure, a likeness. One in whom the likeness of anyone is seen. It is literally meaning a statue. Jesus shows us what it means to be both fully God and fully human. He represents God in the world around us. And his sin has not changed that. And so we look to him. We look to what what does Jesus look like? And of course, we're not getting bound up in the kind of physical appearance, but how does Jesus act? Who is he? Well, how does he love people? How he cares for the broken the person on the outside, how he confronts injustice and and oppression of power, 
how he heals, loves, accepts. That's where we get to see Jesus. And that is how we see who God is. But equally, when we then become people who love the broken, pray for healing, challenge injustice, stand up for the oppressed, work for the common good, love others, be kind, show patience, that is how we get to show God to the world around us. That is how we get to represent him to the brokenness in our lives. But this isn't done in our striving. This isn't about our power. This is not about us trying to achieve more. I don't want to lay that more stuff on you. We do this by allowing Christ to shape us and to mold us. Colossians 1 verse 27 says that you can't do this alone. It says the mystery of the gospel is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the one who fully represents God, the one who fully shows him, is now living in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not about you being a good Christian. What a horrible, horrible phrase. It's about you trusting God and allowing people to see Jesus through you as you invite the Holy Spirit to fill you, to empower you, so that you may live out the life that God has called you to live. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. So when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're filled with Jesus, you will shine Jesus, you will fully represent him, because that is who you are made to be. You are made in the image and the likeness of God. That is who you are. Allow God to heal the brokenness, to restore the pain of where other people have said you are not good enough and you don't measure up, and allow Jesus to shine through you into the world around us. You're made to represent a king. You're made to be royal. That's who you are. Change the narrative in your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.